Let's take our Bibles at this time and turn to the book of Exodus and chapter 12. I'm going to read the first 20 verses of Exodus chapter 12. I know in the bulletin it says that we're covering Exodus 12 and 13. I uh, can't have time to read that all. Uh, and also 1 Corinthians chapter 5, to which we'll refer later in the sermon. We can read it then. But here we have a setting of the Passover that was ordained and that was to be an ordinance, a memorial in Israel for all their generations. Exodus 12. Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be your beginning of months. It should be the first month of the year to you. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month, every man shall take for himself a lamb. According to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for the lamb... Let him and his neighbor next to his house take it according to the number of the persons. According to each man's need, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. Now you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. And they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses where they eat it. Then they shall eat the flesh on that night, roasted in fire, with unleavened bread and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. Do not eat it raw, nor boiled at all with water, but roasted in fire, its head with its legs and its entrails. You shall let none of it remain until morning. What remains of it until morning you shall burn with fire, and thus you shall eat it with the belt on your waist, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. So you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night and will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am the Lord." Now the blood shall be assigned for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall be on you to destroy, not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So this day shall be to you a memorial. You shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it as a feast by an everlasting ordinance. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven from your houses. For whoever eats leavened bread from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. On the first day there shall be a holy convocation, and on the seventh day there shall be a holy convocation for you. No matter of work shall be done on them, but that which everyone must eat, that only may be prepared by you. So you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread, for on this same day I will have brought your armies out of the land of Egypt. Therefore you shall observe this day throughout your generations as an everlasting ordinance. In the first month, on the fourteenth day of the month at evening, 
You shall eat unleavened bread until the 21st day of the month at evening. For seven days no leaven shall be found in your houses, since whoever eats what is leavened, that same person, shall be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he is a stranger or a native in the land. You shall eat nothing leavened. In all your dwellings you shall eat unleavened bread. That's as far as we have time to read this morning. God bless us. We've read of the institution of the Passover and of the Feast of Unleavened Bread accompanying it in Israel. This is something that occurs for this people that is the recipients of the grace of God, this people Israel. They're in Egypt, and they're in cruel bondage in Egypt. By ten mighty plagues, God would show that he's the God of Israel still and would lead them out of Egypt. The Passover is given to celebrate the tenth plague upon Egypt, which was the salvation of Israel from Egypt. So, in the tenth plague, there would be in the night the angel of death who would visit every house in Egypt, and he would see if there was the blood of the Passover lamb sprinkled on the doorpost and on the header, and if he did not, the angel of death would execute the firstborn in every unbloodied house, and so that the firstborn of man and of beast would perish. But Israel celebrates their being passed over in God's wrath, that is, his looking at them, visiting their houses, but seeing the blood moving on, for the blood was their salvation. What doth this have to do with the church? Well, beloved, everything. And we in fact, know that this is a grand type, this whole tenth plague of the shedding of the blood of the Lamb Jesus and of that wonderful gift of faith whereby we're, we sprinkle that blood and whereby God passes over us and shows mercy to us and delivers us from Egypt. Also, the Passover that's instituted as a memorial feast at this time for all generations in Israel is significant for us because Christ, our Passover, is slain for us and now he has instituted the, night, the very night he's betrayed the Lord's Supper in its place and as a fulfillment of all things Passover. We want to consider, we've considered the plague itself, the 10th plague and the passing over of, of God over the houses of Israel. I want to linger a bit on this wonderful sacrament of Old Testament sacrament, if we can call it that, of the Passover and of the ceremonies that were also uh, uh, to accompany that, namely the Feast of Unleavened Bread and the setting aside or consecration of the firstborn of all Israel. This has great significance for us, and so may we Delight in the gospel revealed in this Old Testament feast, now, re, now fulfilled in Jesus in the supper. I want to consider two points as we consider the truth of the partakers, uh, the participating of the past over, what it means that we participate in, in this supper in, in Christ as signified in the Passover. And we want to consider two things. It's all about remembering the lamb. 
And secondly, it's all about, about remembering the life that accompanies those who know the meaning and rejoice in the meaning of the Lamb. Israel, this Old Testament people, long ago, children, thousands of years ago, and many miles away from us, different culture, different people, the, the Jewish people, they were given this ceremony of the Passover at this time when God passed over their houses and was merciful. And this would be at the heart of the life of the Israelites. In fact, at this time, the calendar of Israel is set. This is the first of the months called Abib, later Nisan, our April. And in this, this first instituted feast, the Passover with the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, is to be central for the people. Why is that? Well, it's because, of course, of the blood. The blood that was shed of that lamb, which was the salvation of the people. God would look not upon the quality of the house, nor upon the inhabitants. He wouldn't go inside and say, are these people worthy? He wouldn't um, do anything but look at the blood. And if the blood was covering the houses, he passed over them. And this is what the Passover commemorates. Because this, as we'll see tonight, was the beginning of the Exodus. It was that without which there would be no Exodus. This 10th plague was fundamental for the Exodus. There could have been 20 plagues, but if there's no blood of the Lamb, the people are not leaving Egypt. But because there's this blood of the Lamb shed, the sacrifice of Christ, as we know, this is everything for our salvation. Well, they would have thought about this Lamb and about God's provision of a Lamb even in their little knowledge of these things, they would have been thinking about this uh, long before they were given an institute to remember the Lamb of God. You remember, back in the Old Testament, Genesis, the very day of the fall when God came to Abraham, or to Abraham, to Adam and Eve, he clothed them with skins. And that foretold that there had to be the shedding of blood, Genesis chapter 3. There had to be something like a sacrifice, something to atone for sins so that they were righteous in God's sight. Well, then you have Abraham, Father Abraham, the father of the Jews in Genesis 22. Remember, he's called children to take up his son Isaac to the Mount Moriah and to sacrifice Isaac. He's called to go there, this three days journey, and to bring the firewood up on the top, and, and his son is right there, and the son asks, who will provide the lamb? And, God, and, and Abraham says, God will provide, and sure enough, he provides that ram, that male sheep caught in the thicket, picture of Jesus. Ever since then, it was known, and it would be known, that in the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. That was a saying in Israel, apparently. Genesis 22, 14 and 15. You can look that up. It was something that became impressed upon them. That Abraham would be blessed through this provision of God 
Jehovah Jireh, his name in the Hebrew, the Lord will provide. And so he will provide this lamb, something about the lamb. Now fast forward to all of the sacrifices in Israel that there would be. And all of the lambs that we would be shed and the blood of the bulls and the goats that would be shed for the forgiveness of sins in type and picture of the blood of Jesus. Israel had it all. And so this lamb ceremony, this Passover feast was the beginning of all of those, those religious ordinances in Israel. It was the center of it. The lamb was. The lamb's blood shed. That's why the prophet Isaiah, hundreds of years uh, into the, the uh, theocracy of Israel, would pen and be inspired to pen that great chapter, Isaiah 53, about the Lamb of God, this suffering one on whom the Lord has laid all of our iniquity and he suffers not in vain. He sees the travail of his soul. And then you go, and this is why you must go to the New Testament. And there's John the Baptist. And what does he say when he beholds Jesus? What does this greatest of all of the Old Testament prophets say? Well, he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You see, these people had this lamb on their mind. They had this thing, this, this living substitute on their mind that God would provide and somehow all of the Old Testament would be fulfilled in that sacrifice. And so when the Passover is given, there's something on their mind and something they have to be stirred up in to remember year after year their identity, their existence, their exodus is dependent on the Lamb and his death for them. John the Baptist strikingly doesn't say, Behold, the son of righteousness who rises with healings in his wings. He could have done that. Of course, and Jesus is that. He didn't cite the fact that Jesus is the king. Behold your king. And say, behold the priest. And say, behold the prophet. Even behold the Christ. Behold the rock of ages, as we would sing. But behold the lamb. Something about that dear lamb that Jesus, the Lamb, so, so ingrained in the faith of our fathers and in us. What is striking that in the book of Revelation, when the people and the inhabitants, the, the, the heavenly creatures are said to be praising God, they're praising God and the Lamb, Revelation 5. And no less than 28 times in the book of Revelation, you have Jesus called the Lamb, the Lamb. He's called the Lion of the tribe of Judah. And he comes roaring and he does the, the will of God and devours his enemies. But he's the Lamb. And even the Lamb first, this meek one, this one who is crucified for sinners. And this is what Israel had to remember strikingly, but to look forward to as well. They're remembering something in this Passover feast that, that would happen and did happen to them. They're, this lamb's blood is shed and they're delivered. And they're remembering how this was from the very beginning. God had said he would provide and 
They're going to remember in their prophecies and so on, but in their remembering, they're looking ahead to what we know as we look back, back to Jesus the Lamb, whose blood is shed for us sinners, and his blood covers our doors, our souls. You know that Lamb, beloved? Remember him? Remember him. Israel's called to remember, remember the Lamb of God. And this would be for memorial service, we're told. And over and over again, this is to be repeated and so repeated that the people would be asked by their children, what does this mean? And then they'd tell them. It was something that was very educational for them. And this is, beloved, why we celebrate the supper. Because Jesus takes the language of the Old Testament and he says, do this in remembrance of me. Old Testament They had this memorial service and there were pictures of what would be the reality. Now, Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. And at that night when he's betrayed and they're celebrating the Passover, there's no lamb there. We don't read of Jesus carving up a lamb. He's the lamb. He's the lamb. There's other things involved in the ceremony and which have become traditional in this Seder practice of the Jews at that time and continues today. Four cups of wine, for example, are drunk and different things are said to remind the people of the significance of this Passover lamb. But Jesus himself would focus his disciples on himself. This is my body, lamb body, broken for you. This is my blood shed for you. And then he goes to the cross. And then we know just why we want to remember this and why we're glad to have the preaching of the Lamb and the sacraments of the Lamb and the church of the Lamb and a people that joins together to remember the thing that's come to pass and to look forward to the day when he comes again. Beloved, you remember Jesus? I remember Jesus. Not enough, I I fear. Lots of things we remember. We remember to do. Remember to remember. But Jesus, remembering is one of those callings and activities of the people of God, Old and New Testament, to which we're called repeatedly. Why? Because we forget We forget the significance of this one, but Jesus, how could we forget the lamb is slain and God slays the lamb and God passes over because he didn't pass over his son, but he visited his house, his heart, his tabernacle, his body with all his wrath for your sake and mine. Oh, what an ugly lamb he looked like because he had your ugly sins on himself and on me, and my sins on him. Amazing. The wrath of God visited that lamb. The angel of death didn't pass over him. Didn't pass over him. That's why even in the type God passed over all the houses in Egypt, or he he visited all the houses in Egypt at that time. 
And Israel's was included. Do you know that? God didn't just avoid the houses of Israel. He visited those houses. He visited them. He visited them and you know what? He killed their firstborn because their firstborn was God's firstborn, the son. So not a house was without a firstborn dead. Firstborn of man and beast. Firstborn the son of God by type and picture in that lamb. See, God is not in the visit uh, in the business of being anything less than God. At this time, we read here, he's going to destroy not only Egypt and humble them, but he's going to destroy Egypt's gods. In the death of this lamb, and this is seen on Calvary, God shows, I am God. I am holy. This whole world is not God. And all of them together, rich men, poor men, beggar men, thief, Jew and Gentile, all of the the great minds and thinkers, they're not God. No. I'm God. That's seen in the Lamb. That's seen and remembered in our participating of the supper and in our hearing now what God the Savior would say to us through the Lamb, now glorified. Well, beloved, that is the Lamb that we are to remember. What about the life? Second point. What about the life? Remembering the life of those who remember. What about our life? You learn something about the life of the people of God who partake of the first Passover and of who partake of Christ in this institution of the supper here. For one thing, the people were to eat the lamb roast with fire, signifying, I suppose, the fire of the wrath of God himself. She'll eat it all, leave nothing left, You shall eat it with bitter herbs. There's bitter herbs that are called here to be eaten. In verse uh, 8 of chapter 12, unleavened bread and bitter herbs, they shall eat it. Bitter herbs, we surmise, though it doesn't say absolutely directly, we surmise it signifies the bitter bondage because that's how it's described early on in the account of Exodus. They, they are groaning as Israel for the bitter bondage of the slavery of Egypt. And they're stealing their life and their lifeblood. They would kill their children. They would shackle them and intimidate them. And they'd have taskmasters set over them to, to build their treasures, cities, and so on, the backs, the hunched backs of the Israelites, as some have said, all the kingdom of Pharaoh was built and the treasures were gleaned and the people were mocked. So bitter herbs to remind them of that bondage. Now, beloved, I'm just going to kind of go through this and think of this spiritually But that's something to remember as we're living in the light of the Lamb. 
You remember the bondage in Egypt, the bitter, cruel slavery of sin, because that's what it means. You ever have this in your life? You slip a little. Start to do something, watch something, cavort with certain people, think certain things. Remember your past that was sinful and like it. You ever have that? You can become kind of desensitized to sin. Hollywood would do that too. They'll desensitize you to sin by portraying sin over and over, and pretty soon it's okay. And we can glean something from this sinful and adulterous relationship, and so we're going we're gonna to look past that to get to this message here. You become desensitized really quick, can't you? And I can. We can, we can all do that. Well, the Passover here is to remind the people with the bitter herbs to remember the reason for the lamb. And that's why the preacher is called to do the, the dirty work, as it were, of exposing sin in the congregation, in himself. This isn't hanging dirty laundry out for all to see and to gloat somehow in the dirt, but it is to work repentance and to work in us the assessment, not that sin is something to be desired, but sin is something that makes for bitterness and bondage. It's against me. It's against God. It's not my liberty. It's not my joy. Bitter herbs. Make sure, and this is why we make sure that we examine ourselves, that when we go to the table, when we remember Jesus, we remember why he got there. Now it's the counsel of God. We know that. Through our sinning and our saying, crucify him, crucify him. That was bondage. That was Pharisaical bondage, Sadducean bondage, bondage of the unbelievers who said, what is truth? As they're staring him in the face, it was bondage for them to say, he must not be released. Barabbas will go free, but he must be crucified. And that's what we do when we sin. We crucify afresh Jesus Christ. We say he's not worth anything to us. We avoid our devotions. We avoid prayer like the plague. How ironic. And all the while, we're not remembering Jesus. But the bitter herbs is so that we do. And then there's this. They were to eat with unleavened bread on that night. Here's their course. Lamb, main course, bitter herbs, and unleavened bread. That would be without yeast, we would say. The Jews have their matzah crackers. Some people even think that we should have unleavened bread in the celebration of the supper. Uh, I don't, but there's some liberty there. Here, unleavened bread symbolizes purity, symbolizes no sin, It's a positive way of describing the holiness of the people of God. If they're going to have the lamb and remember the lamb, they must remember that they're on holy ground. And we partake of Jesus. We're eating him in, beloved. And when he gets in, what does he find? 
Is there no room for him? Unleavened bread symbolizes holiness. Holiness. And that's why there's this accompanying feast. Get into that now. Accompanying feast of the unleavened bread. Striking right upon the heels of the eating of the Passover was seven days of a feast called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. First day would also be a Sabbath, no work, holy convocation to come to church. Eighth day or seventh day, however you want to count it, would also be a Sabbath, a holy day, no work. Also, all throughout the week of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, to remind them of the Passover and how to partake of it, no leaven could be found in any of the house. Wives, you'd have to clear out your cupboards of any kind of yeast, any kind of thing that would um, destroy the symbolism of their being the people of God, holy unto the Lord. Very important. No leaven anywhere. No sin anywhere. Besides that, you have at this time this consecration of the firstborn of the people of God. You read of that more in chapter 13. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Consecrate to me all the firstborn, whatever opens the womb among the children of Israel, both of man and of beast, it's mine. This is another way of describing that Israel itself in its firstborn will be dedicated to God for this consecration of all the firstborn had to do with service to God, a dedication to his service in a special way. Later on, who would be the ones who would take the place of the firstborn in Israel? You know that? The tribe of Levi. The Levites would be in the place of the firstborn according to the ordinance of God at this time, or at the time later. But first of all, it was the firstborn. Israel's firstborn is slain. They're wicked. Your firstborn must be dedicated to me to lead the way in all of the congregation of the fact that everything from you and in you and among you is for me. So you have the Passover lamb, and you have how it's eaten, and you have the unleavened bread and you have the bitter herbs and you have this this ceremony of the the feast of unleavened bread and the consecration of the firstborn all to show that God was different God is holy and they and their life is different and holy in thankfulness to God this is the idea of first Corinthians in chapter 5 and I'll read that now you can follow along with me if you'd like in, verse, in chapter 5, 1 Corinthians 5, we read this this morning at my house. There is the terrible sin of the Corinthians of thinking that it's okay to have a fornicator in their midst. Okay to have someone in there even who's not only a fornicator and that's bad to begin with, but someone whose fornication wouldn't even be named among the Gentiles. They wouldn't even do it. It's that bad. And it's the fornication, the relationship of a a man having his mother as an object in their sexual intercourse. That's that's blasphemy. That's terrible. That's abomination. That's, That's sin. But somehow, in some way, the Corinthians were saying, this is our liberty. And maybe even this is our liberty as those under the grace of God now. 
And the Corinthians, they're full of sexual immorality, but we can have it after a peace in the name of Christ even. How terrible. That's why the apostle says, you're puffed up here. You're strangely puffed up, verse 2. You are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he who has done this deed might be taken away from among you. And then Paul says, this is glorying, verse 6. You're boasting about this. You're boasting in your liberty. You have the Lamb. You have the ordinances of God. You have the the God of the ordinances. And now you're just going to be those who are proud about this glorying in your liberty, glorying in the way that you're tolerant of all kinds of people. The context, Paul says, out with this guy. Out with his nonsense. Start exercising church discipline. Your glorying is not good. In the name of liberty, you're saying we're a people of the Lamb and the Lamb's liberty. That's not good if you're allowing in your liberty sin. And he says there, don't you know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? A little bit of yeast fills the whole loaf of bread you're making, doesn't it? It does its work. Sin does its work in the congregation. And Paul says then, therefore purge out the old leaven of the old man, that you may be a new lump, new creatures, since you truly are unleavened. For indeed, Christ our Passover was sacrificed for us, And therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. That means, from the heart, celebrate the supper. From the heart, live out the life of the people of God. And in your lives and in your suppers, as Exodus reminds us, may there be fellowship only with God's people. Striking how parameters are set for the attendance at the the Old Testament Passover feast as there needs to be in the New Testament with regard to who may partake of the Passover. You had to be circumcised. Not only that, you had to dwell among the people. You had to be known among the congregation, Exodus 13, 14, or 12 and 13. There had to be some holy dedication to the things of God and to the Lamb. To the Lamb, to the Lamb. Beloved, let's reflect on that as we conclude. Our life reflects that we're holy, God's people, and that the Lamb is everything. Does it, though? Again, we have trouble remembering that, don't we? And I mean, not just, okay, I've got it down. I, I know this. In fact, you're thinking maybe I've heard this before, Reverend. Why are you preaching the Lamb again? We preached him last week. And I, I seem to remind, remember that last year's sermons were the same thing. It's, it's all about the Lamb. I remember that. Let's move on, beloved. The minute we start moving on, or the week, or the sermon, let's close up. You don't move on. You stay there. You stay the course. And all the doctrines of the Lamb and all the glory in God for the sake of that Lamb, that's what we're all about. That doesn't change, though you change and I change. I've seen 
A lot of us grow up here. You've seen me grow up. We're all growing together. Those things are good, and we bear fruit and so on. But may the lamb never change in the ministry around the lamb. Here's a test printed in the middle of your bulletin, but I want to cite that for you in the sermon. There's three houses, A, B, and C, three religious houses. The ones are Pharisees. Look at these houses. Consider them. There's a house full of people who are self-righteous. They think they know everything. And they have laws and laws and laws, and they keep them, and they think they're they're better than others because the others don't keep them or can't. But they have the blood on their houses. They're, they're going to celebrate the Passover, just like Israel. We have the blood. There's another house full of people who are the opposite of Pharisees. They're maybe the antinomians. Those are the ones who don't care about holiness and the law of God, anti-nomos. And they're rather loose in their living and maybe like the Corinthians, glorying in their so-called liberty, which is nothing but an excuse to live like the devil. But they have the blood. You see that house? That's house B. They have the blood. That covers them. Or they think it does. They're, they're somehow trusting in that. And then there's another house. That's C, and maybe that's like a lot of our houses. House C is those who kind of doubt and are inconsistent and, and we're doubting, but we don't know much about Christianity and God and Maybe we're new to this, or maybe we're too old for this. We've just seen it all, but we're just going to make sure that that blood covers us because we heard through Moses that wrath is coming. So I ask you the question, and all three houses have that blood on them. When the angel of death comes, which house is passed over? Which house is destroyed in its firstborn? A, the Pharisees. B, the loose livers. C, the doubters. Well, beloved, the answer is all three. All three are saved. Why? Because of the blood. Not because of our life, but because of Christ's death. That's the point. That's the gospel. Not because of the worthiness of your faith or anything about your faith, but because of the blood God passes over you. Not because you're, you've arrived. Not because you're not inconsistent. You're perfectly consistent in everything. And the consistory is perfectly consistent in everything. And the pastor never stutters and they never does whatever he does in the pulpit that sounds funny. But because of the Lamb, that's the point of, of our Christianity. It's the Christ of Christianity. Put it this way, you can never out-sin the blood of the Lamb. Never! Never! Hallelujah! You can never out-sin the blood of the Lamb. And that's why we're here Sunday after Sunday, because we have every reason to celebrate. That's what you got to remember. Real and practical Christianity. Thinking upon the Lamb and living your life in thankful holiness and happiness to Him.
That's why, too, we sing the Hallel Psalms with all the, the vigor of those who've been saved by that blood. So you sing them, beloved. Be a singing people, a happy people, because you know the Lamb. And more importantly, he knows you. Amen.